and telling them to continue on in things. And uh, But uh, the beginning of the book of Revelation, the Bible speaks of the fact that those that hear and read the words of this book will be blessed. And that's usually where a lot of preachers focus the emphasis is that we ought to be reading it and we ought to be hearing it. But uh, if you'll take the re- time to read that verse, it also says, and to do the things that are written therein. I was talking to somebody recently uh, about the fact that we were studying some prophecy. And um, they said, you know, I've, I've not really dealt with prophecy a whole lot because uh, it's very uh, stagnant. There's no practical application. And I said, well, then, then we're misunderstanding the purpose of, of prophecy. Prophecy is not there for us to just simply know what's coming. Prophecy is there to help us to live the way we should now, knowing that these things are coming and that they're imminent, that they could happen at any moment. Uh, it ought to be convicting to us, but it's also there to strengthen our faith and to give us peace during times that are very troublesome. Uh, just like we're looking at the things in the world today and uh, scratching our heads and we're appalled by some of the things going on politically around the world. But as a Christian, we rejoice and we say, even so, Lord, come quickly. We're ready. And we know that these are signs of the times. These are uh, events that are leading up to the things that Revelation speaks of. And uh, so uh, the study of prophecy is not a dry subject. It's not something that we just study for the sake of gaining intellectual knowledge. It's interesting to me that the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it is profitable. And so uh, as we come to these things, let's look for the things that God has for us in them. Can we do that? And uh, as we look and study about these churches and God writing to the pastors of these churches, uh, what He says to them, and how can we learn some things from that that will help us in the day that we live. Uh, this book is an eternal book. It is uh, the, the word relevant has been thrown around so much in recent days among uh, modern-day ministries. Well, we want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. The Bible's not relevant anymore. God wrote this book to be eternal. And it doesn't matter what age or what period of time or what culture, it is always relevant. And we thank the Lord for it. Let's look at verse number 7. We're going to read all of these verses. There's only six, uh, seven of them here. So we're going to read all those uh, through again tonight. And then we will uh, give just a real brief Summary of where we got to last week and then move into the new material. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of, thy, of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown." Him that cometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Last week we dealt with the uh, verses 7 and 8 
And God, uh, each of the letters will describe himself, and he does so differently, doesn't he? In each letter, he describes himself differently to that church and to that pastor. And each time he does, it is because of what he's going to address with that church. It establishes his authority. It establishes um, his, his um, attributes and the, the qualities of him that affect his teaching to the church. And uh, it's interesting that he starts off by speaking of the fact, uh, saith he that is holy. We spent some time dealing about uh, the need in the day that we live to recognize God as a holy God. Even in our good Bible preaching, Bible believing churches, we have diminished God to, to a level that our minds can feel at ease with, uh, rather than looking at Him as absolute holiness. Uh, we don't teach or preach standards anymore. We don't teach or preach against sin anymore in our churches because we have diminished the holiness of God. And there needs to be a revival in the day that we live of lifting God back up on that, uh, on that pedestal of holiness and putting Him in His rightful place. I've mentioned so many times before uh, in the book that A.W. Tozer wrote uh, that he, in chapter number 2, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says this, uh, whatever we think God to be, He is not. And uh, we have a tendency to picture God in our minds, to think of God in our minds in ways that we can comprehend. But the truth of the matter is God is infinite in every way. And our minds are finite. We cannot comprehend fully. We cannot understand fully the absolute uh, infiniteness of God in every aspect. And that includes His holiness. Uh, the Bible says that in Him was no darkness at all. There was none. Uh, the Bible talks about Jesus and His earthly ministry. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Last night after class, we were talking about uh, the keeping of the law and the idea of the Old Testament. And Christ said, I, am, I have fulfilled the law. I came to fulfill the law. He had kept the law in every point. He's the only one who ever did. And uh, the absolute holiness of God. And then he spoke of the fact <clears throat> in verse number 7, he that is true. And, of course, we understand that all truth that it can be known is only because it is given by God. Everything that there is that is truth is from him. And so he's the one that teaches in, in all truth. He speaks of the fact that he has the ability uh, to open doors and to shut doors. And uh, then he tells them in verse number 8, he says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. And uh, what we kind of understand from this verse, and we do understand a little bit because of uh, other writings of that day that speak of the church of Philadelphia, is that there was uh, a persecution going on, obviously, in that first century. Many of these churches that we've read about in Revelation suffered persecution. But very much so, the influence <coughs> of uh, what the Bible refers to here as the seat of Satan, those that uh, were from the seat of Satan that had great influence, great impact, great persecution on the church. And uh, God encouraged the church at Philadelphia by saying, uh, I've put before you an open door, and I don't care what the persecution does, they can't shut it. In other words, he's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to share the gospel, to spread the gospel, and there's not going to be anything that Satan can do to stop you from doing that. By the way, when God spoke to the fact that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us, it was the idea that they cannot withstand our, our, our aggressive action of going into the world and sharing the gospel. It was not said in a passive way of us sitting back and the gates of hell coming at us. It was speaking of us going into all the world and that the gates of hell cannot stop those things. 
Because God has the ability to open those doors. One of the great prayers of every Christian ought to be, Lord, open the doors of opportunity for me today. Uh, I, I think we miss so many times opportunities to share the gospel because we limit ourselves to uh, maybe just a time that we go once a week. Or maybe we limit ourselves to, well, when I think about it, I will. Instead of waking up consciously every day saying, Lord, open some opportunities for me today. And, and I don't think just open them. I think we ought to be praying, Lord, help me to recognize them. <coughs> help me to recognize those opportunities. Because oftentimes we, we have opportunities right in front of our noses. And we leave and go our way and we forget that, hey, there was an opportunity right there to share the gospel. There was an opportunity right there to talk to somebody about Christ. And God opens those doors. Uh, we go soul winning. I think uh, one of the great lessons of Scripture, and we, we preached a little bit on this last Sunday, one of the great lessons of Scripture is when God told the disciples He wanted them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But after He got done charging them with this challenge and, and this commission, He said, but, wait, stop, don't go yet. Wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And 120 of them met in an upper room and they began to pray. And they prayed until the time came where God brought the Holy Spirit down in power upon them, and they were able to serve with God's opening the doors for them. God made the opportunities for them. And I think one of the great travesties of our service for the Lord is we don't spend enough time praying on our knees before we go, saying, Lord, help me to have opportunities. Go before me. Have the Holy Spirit work through me. And there ought to be the most... uh, I, I, well, let me put it this way. I was listening uh, back in 1991 or 92. It was either one of those two years. I was listening to a tape, cassette tape. That'll tell you how old I am. Uh, and uh, I was listening to a cassette tape, and uh, a fellow made a mention of Alexander McLaren, who wrote uh, a great commentary on the Bible. In the World, World Baptist Congress, I think it was, or something of that nature, there was a big um, uh, meeting of Baptist folks in the early 1900s. And he got up to speak, and he made this, this statement. He said, uh, uh, p- uh, prayer for power, personal holiness, and service is first priority in a Christian's life. The service, then, is second to it. He said, the prayer for powerful, holy service is first priority to a Christian. I went to some Bible colleges, and a couple of them, and um, in both of them, the emphasis was the first priority of every Christian is to tell the gospel to somebody. No, it's not. That's not the first priority of a Christian. The first priority of a Christian is our walk with God. We get out here, we try to serve without His power in our lives, and we are fruitless, and we wonder why. That does not negate the fact that the service does come. And it is a high priority, but it is not our first priority. Our first priority is to walk with our God and to gain the power of His Holy Spirit upon us and to open those doors of opportunity as we go into this world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's a little contrary to what is normally and customarily taught in a lot of our churches today. A lot of preachers, they want to get people motivated to go out and soul win and serve and and get out here and share the gospel and so they can get some people in the church. I'll tell you this, I'd far rather have God open a door 
and God's power be upon me when I share the gospel with that person than for me to go and talk to ten of them and none of them listen to a word I say. Their hearts are not stirred. They are not moved. They do not respond. Their faith is not built in them to where they understand their need of a salvation. And this, these folks, uh, the Bible spoke of the fact here is God said to them, He says, I've set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. These people knew what it was to have God open doors of opportunity for them. It didn't matter how tough their life was or how much persecution came. They, they had a door that God had opened. And it didn't matter what man did. It wasn't going to be shut. Notice what else he says here in verse number 8. He says, For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. By the way, <coughs> any strength that we have of our own that we try to serve God with is always little strength. I'm thankful God can take the little things and make something mighty out of them, aren't you? In fact, the Bible even speaks of that. When Christ was in His earthly ministry, He said, Not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things... Or to, uh, to uh, I can't quote right. Uh, to overcome the mighty, I think, is the gist of it. I can't think of the exact wording of it. But God has chosen the weak things of the world. I like what Paul said when he was... Um, the Bible says that he had a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And three different times he prayed. He said, Lord, I want you to heal me from this. I want you to make sure you take this messenger of Satan away from me. And God didn't take the messenger of Satan away from him. He answered him and said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we say, Lord, I can't, I don't have the strength, that's exactly where we need to be. As long as we just don't come to Him and say, Lord, I won't, because I don't have a lot of strength. I think all of us need to be able to get on our faces before God and say, Lord, I can't, but I will with Your strength. These people had a little strength. The Bible says in verse number 8, And has kept My word, and has not denied My name. My dad, years ago... Uh, was preaching, and he, he made a statement that he repeated many times after that. There were men that he had uh, admired and men that he looked up to in preaching. He went to college at Tennessee Temple back when Tennessee Temple was the college, the premier Bible college to go to. Dr. Lee Robertson was still there and preaching. And uh, my dad uh, oftentimes looked at ministries like his and others around the country that were thriving and growing. And here we were in a little town, just a, just a hundred or so people in the church. And years and years and years of pastoring, maybe 200 people would get to in the wintertime and, and just plodded along. He just kept plodding along. For 40 years, he stayed in that church. At some point along the line, he realized and he made the statement, he said, I may not be as good of a preacher as some people. I may not have the best messages. I, I may stammer and stutter and not say things the way they ought to be said. He said, I may not have the great charisma and the personality that some of these preachers have. He said, one thing I know I can do, I can be faithful. Can I encourage us in this tonight? God is not interested in our talent. God is interested in our willingness and our faithfulness. God wants to see us say, Lord, I can't, but if you need me, I'm available. 
Lord, I, I don't know if I can make it through these things, but I'll tell you what, I'll just keep trying until you tell me to stop. This church understood and knew and had persevered. In verse number 9, he says this, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews <coughs> and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. He's not saying here that the, the folks that were deceitful, that said they were Jews and were not, were going to come and worship the church. He said they're going to come and they're going to worship the God of that church, and you're going to get to see it. God told him, He said, listen, you persevere, you stay strong, you continue to be steadfast, you've had a little strength, you've not denied my, my name, you've not denied my word. There's going to come a time, hang in there, where your labor will bear fruit, and there will be some that will come, and in your presence they will kneel, and they will worship the God of heaven. He mentions that as a promise to them in verse number 9. In verse number 10, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And again, speaking here, I believe, of the time of the rapture, that he's going to keep them from the time of the wrath of God that will be poured out after the rapture, and that they will be taken out of this place. And verse number 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. I'm uh, every time I find a passage like this, it it helps me to understand and to know without any doubt that there is definitely a pre-tribulational rapture. Otherwise, God would not tell us to be watchful. God would have no reason to say uh, in verse number uh, nine, "Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown." He was warning him, "Hey, uh, hold fast, because." I'm coming, and you don't really know when. It'll be sooner than you think. Uh, This is a a way of telling us that the return of Christ is something that the Bible refers to as no man knowing the day or the hour of. I think we certainly can tell the times and the seasons, but we certainly don't know the day or the hour. And with that in mind, it ought to cause us every day to live with eternity in view. You know, probably one of the most devastating things in are living the way that we should as a Christian, is that we do not consider nearly as often as we should eternity. If we would wake up in the morning with eternity on our minds, it would affect how we live that day. It might affect the way we behave ourselves. It might affect the places that we go. It might affect the people that we meet. It might affect whether or not we take the time in our busy day to stop And talk to someone. The problem I think that many if not all of Christianity is suffering from today is the fact that we live daily consumed, and the Bible uses this phrase, by the affairs of this world. I know we have to care for our families. I know we have to work. I'm not not asking us to uh, be derelict in those areas. But we ought to live with a consciousness of eternity. Throughout our day, there ought to be a a forethought on our minds that eternity is just around the corner. I better make sure I'm ready. And I want to make sure that those people that I meet are also ready. I want to make sure they know. Notice he says in verse number 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, 
and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him my name of my God, uh, upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. So three different names that are going to be written upon them. Uh, I think this is in stark contrast to those that are unbelievers who are going to take the mark of the beast. And yet God's going to put his name upon those that have trusted him. We mentioned before that the phrase, him that overcometh, in verse 12, is not talking about the perseverance of someone, but it is speaking of the fact that they've trusted Christ as their Savior. John speaks of this. He's the guy that uh, God used to, uh, as the human instrument to author and to record these letters to these churches. He's also the one that I think it's in Second John referred uh, to he that overcometh, and he speaks there in that ta- in that in that uh, uh, passage of those that had trusted Christ as their Savior. So we have a good reference to the fact that these are referring to those that are saved. They have trusted Christ as their Savior. And if you'll take and read through all seven letters, when he makes this phrase, and he makes it in all seven of them, uh, you read the things that he promises to him that overcometh. And if you consider it to be somebody who's working or persevering or enduring, and not necessarily those that are saved, you'll begin to think that these people can earn salvation by just persevering. That is not what the Bible is saying here. It's speaking here of those that have trusted Him as their Savior. And so keep that in mind as he says in verse number 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And of course the temple is not so much the building structure as it is the people that make up the temple of, the God, of, of God. That those that are saved are going to be the ones that make that up. That are going to be sustaining, supporting that. And uh, he says that in verse number 12, He shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven. Then he says in verse number 13, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Philadelphia is a wonderful church. They're an evangelistic church. They have an open door that no man can shut. One of two churches that God has nothing negative to say about. I would love if God would look at Keith Heights Baptist Church and say that's a Philadelphia-type church. They're faithful. They have a little strength, and they use what God has given them to be faithful. They're, rec- they're recognizing the fact that He is holy. They're recognizing the fact that God is truth. They have the right view of God. They have the right service. They have the right motivation. They have the right methods. And we find nothing but God encouraging this church. And even when the times get difficult and troublesome, He tells them and encourages them, I want you to remain true. I want you to remain fast in these things. And so we'll look at uh, the Church of Laodicea next week. We're going to end just a few minutes early here uh, because we do need to take care of uh, a little bit of business this evening. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, close in a word of prayer. And uh, then uh, if you visitors would like to stay, like I said, you're more than welcome to. We'd be glad to have you stay. Uh, and uh, you're welcome to. But if you'd like to leave after the prayer, you're welcome to do that as well. Don't, don't feel bad about doing that. Father, we're so thankful for your word and how it teaches and guides and directs us. So many things that we can learn. As we look at these churches and the things that you've spoken to them about, I pray that you would help us to learn your heart on the issues. And then, Father, that we would follow after that, wanting to do everything in our life to please you, to do things that would not cause a reproach to you or bring shame or harm to your work. I pray that you'd help us to have a pure vision of who you are, to have a clear understanding of who we are and our dependence upon you.